for Learning 3.0 podcast. I'm Rustika Lamb from Bloom, and in each episode, I chat to learning and technology thought leaders and how to support business performance through people performance. Bob Mosher is the CEO and Chief Evangelist at Apply Synergies. He has been an active and influential leader in the L&D industry for over 30 years and is renowned worldwide for his pioneering approach to learning. In this episode, we talk about learning, technology, virtual classrooms, the future of learning, and how COVID-19 has brought not just acceleration, but also opportunity. Welcome, Bob, to the Learning 3.0 podcast. It is great to be here, my honor. Thanks. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, no, you're more than welcome. I um, had been listening, actually, you were a guest on several podcasts I listened to, and I thought, oh my goodness, I've certainly got to interview you about the future of learning. So um, thanks Mm -hmm. to some of your own time that you've given to other podcast guests. Um, I really appreciate that. So um, so then in preparation for this, I I looked at your LinkedIn profile, and I saw a very interesting post you made a couple of days ago about the future of learning, is it a fad? And you said, no, it's been around for a long time. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't think we can talk about the future of learning if we don't talk about the learning, workflow learning, et cetera. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting uh, because there's been two common themes among many. Of course, there's been many and some Mm. have been tragic, candidly, and and that's been the difficult part for all of us, not just at, at work, but in life. But at the same time, I have heard opportunity Mm-hmm. Um, and acceleration. Desperate times call for desperate measures, right? I mean, and, and so I've interviewed and talked to a lot of learning leaders, and they've said that when 2008 hit our country, the financial crash, or of course, the world, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, our, our phones stopped ringing, you mm-hmm. know, and, and budgets dried up. But that was a financial crisis. And it's clear there's a degree of that here, but this is a human resource, human behavior, human productivity, right? Mm-hmm. Problem, human disruption problem the business we're in. And so all of a sudden, many L&D professionals found their phone ringing off the wall. And it wasn't, I want a five-day class or I want 60 no. learnings. Or, mm. No, no, no. It was, it was, look, we've got people at home. We've got people being displaced. We've got people doing two jobs. You know, we've got something we're calling here in the States, reboarding, which is, okay. which is not onboarding per se. It's how are we reboarding mm. stages, the workforce back into, if they do, be it at a hybrid or partially or entirely, back into a workplace. And so mm-hmm. getting back to the whole idea of workflow learning and such is that it made things that I think our industry was not as receptive to. <laughs> you know, yeah. Budgets were found for LXPs, you know, the acronym Learning yes. Experience Platforms, whereas people wanted LXPs years ago, but they were still getting over our LMS budget. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and people try to get virtual technologies forever and get their CEOs to use them and their managers to use them. They couldn't either buy them nor could they get leadership to try them. All of a sudden, all of these things are cutting through red tape, both organizationally and institutionally, i.e., budgets and such, and nine checkpoints and so on. They're also cutting through organizations humanistically or behaviorally. Mm. And so, what, so do you mean, me, what do you mean by that? We're, we're, I don't know what it's like over there where you live, my friend, but what I've learned about L&D or about learning and learners in my 36 years of doing it is that we are a conservative bunch. Mm. We know what we know. We may not even like it, but we know what we know. We've been in classrooms since kindergarten mm-hmm. or primary, right? So why wouldn't we be in a classroom when we're 48 years old? Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't like it when you're in primary or sixth or fifth grade either, but it's kind of what you do when you learn. Yes. Um, and so getting learners in L&D to change and try something new has always been difficult. I agree. And all of a sudden, things like workflow learning, things like buying an LXP, things like an EPSS, things like virtual instruction, things like spaced learning, 
these things that we've tried to do, reflection is part of instruction, that we've tried to introduce into a more traditional model, all of a sudden, all bets are off. And tell me, I saw that on your, one of your posts, is it EPSS or ESSP? EPSS. Yeah, that's not a term we know down in some New Zealand way. What, what is, do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, it, actually, it's been around since 1991. <laughs> a, wonderful lady, a wonderful lady, Dr. Gloria Geary, coined it, G-E-R-Y. It's short for Electronic Performance Support System. And the original ones were latched into large IT systems. They were help systems to oversimplify. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is they've kind of ridden under the radar in L&D since. Mm. And they're coming to the surface now because they're not just for help systems anymore. They're not just for pop-ups, help buttons in IT or anything. They're rich, robust content and learning asset and support aggregators that can understand behavior, can understand context, can understand workflows, and become, the term we're using, single source of truth for Mm. a whole host of objects or resources that are scattered across an enterprise. And so if you fast forward to today, and I used to sit at my desk, I used to have my posties around my monitor. I used to have my friend Mary across the cubicle, who was my mm-hmm. you know, best friend for everything. And Joe was the Excel expert, and I always talked to him. And all of a sudden, all of those resources, that entire infrastructure is gone. Mm. And I'm sitting at home, mm. and I have a problem or I have to perform, or I have to be caught up on a change. And Lord knows there's more of that now than ever. Where do I go for that? All those resources that I intrinsically had around me are gone. And so systems like EPSSs are coming to the forefront as a remarkable framework and tool to host those resources and meet those needs. Mm, I totally agree with you because I'm seeing the likes of like ob.ai, which is a Slack integration. It's a knowledge sure. base. It pulls from, you know, Confluence and Box and all of the other yep. the areas. Yep. So yep. I'm guessing that's what you, is a new form of EPSS, right? That's, that's yeah, what yeah, they're yeah, doing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and I know we were going to talk about technology as well. Would you consider an EPSS to also be like a chatbot that you could program workflow? Yeah. EPSS yeah. is uh, actually, let me couch it in the right context. Performance support is the discipline. Mm-hmm. An EPSS is one of the more robust tools found in that toolkit under that discipline. Mm -hmm. But candidly, a job aid, a paper laminated checklist is performance support. The problem that has been in our industry is that for years, we were an industry of of stuff. We Mm. collected and created a lot of stuff, a lot of SharePoint (laughs) sites, lots of content. Lots of school. (laughs) Thousands of, oh my gosh, thousands of courses on an LMS, you know, and so on. And so, and how could more not be better? right? Mm. It was kind of our mentality. And I think years ago, learners reached a breaking point and maybe we're too shy to tell us or too overwhelmed to tell us. But again, back to acceleration and opportunity, COVID has exposed the fact that a lot of organizations are not shy of information or content. Mm. What they're lacking is a way to disseminate it effectively. Mm. Mm. And, And when you're in a critical time like COVID, immediacy, efficiency, availability, are the talk of the day. And not that they weren't pre-COVID, but frankly, when life was chugging along like it always had, I could wait (laughs) or or I didn't mind taking an hour to search. There was a remarkable research out of McKinsey that the average worker spends a day a week, one day a week out of five days, searching for information. Oh, goodness Only, Only finding what they want half of that time. So that means, think about the workforce. It means in a company of a thousand employees, half a day a week, they're completely unproductive. Yeah. We, we sort of tolerated that as the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're not, we can't now. Mm-hmm. And so these tools and these frameworks 
are coming to the forefront because we are extremely anxious and receptive to be as efficient and effective as we can mm. with, with those that we have and, and help those that are struggling to do better. Mm. And you talked about 2008 being a financial crisis and the, the phone on the wall, for those that can remember phones on the wall, <laughs> you know, stopped ringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is more of a, a human issue. What about 2002? And, and I love the fact that I love interviewing people of my own cohort, you know, us Gen Xs that have been sandwiched between the baby boomers and the Xs. And now's our time to shine because I think we've got the experience, but we've also got the discipline. Yeah. You're obviously around in 2002 and um, you were in learning. How is that different to say this time, 2008 and 2002? Well, I think it's an acceleration of urgency. Right. Um, you know, I'm 59 years old. I uh, hate to admit that, but... Um, <laughs> Last podcast I listened to, you were 56. Well, you know, must have been an old that's podcast. Why, that's why we won't show the picture. Um, <laughs> no, but coming up on, my, on my, my 60th birthday, and I have to tell you, I can't remember as desperate a time in our world, let alone the workplace. Yes. You know, in 2008 was not great. 2002, I mean, there was urgency to them, but if I dare say, I don't think there was desperation to them. Yeah. I've heard some really dramatic adjectives used. You mm-hmm. know, there was some fear. I did an interesting talk recently with about 40 learning professionals, and I asked if, are there new content that you're writing because of COVID? I got things like emotional balance, empathy. Mm-hmm. dealing with anxiety. Mm. If I would have asked 40 learning professionals in 2008 or, or anytime, you know, give me your top five curriculum, it'd have been leadership and compliance and, you know, the latest sales CRM. And I didn't hear those words in a curriculum, top five ever. And I've been in the business for 36 years. Yeah. You know, so desperation, I think, causes a different behavior than urgency does. Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting you say about compliance driven out of the last um, two recessions. I, I interviewed Laurie Niles-Hoffman as a guest. Sure, sure. And, and that's what she said. She said, you know, 2002, 2008, heaps of compliance training came out because we're saying, well, what's going to come out next? And I think you put that really succinctly. I love you thinking about it in terms of acceleration, but also that it's a human thing and it's actually going to drive that desperation, which then drives, you know, your mental health and anxiety and resilience. Yeah, it, it's yeah. funny. I heard a good friend of mine said the other day that he has seen in his work context and content flip during oh. this time. And I was like, I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, because in my entire life of L&D, the demand in my department and the, the topics that came across my desk were almost always content driven. Yes. You know, we need leadership training. We need Sarbanes-Oxley training. We need Excel training. That's topic stuff, right? Mm. Now people are saying, look, my people can't work from home. Mm. How does a manager manage people who are working at home? That's a contextual conversation, not a topic. Mm. See the difference? Mm. I get asked often, what do I think coming out of this will be our learnings, will be what will not change? I think that's one of them. Yes. Because I, here's what I believe, because it's been a, a big part of my work for the last 10 years, is that once a learner realizes that you want to pivot on, on their needs and behavior mm. and their ability to perform, not their ability to know, remember, or recall, yes. pass a test, mm-hmm. they, they become very, a couple things, they become quite selfish. I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that in a demand kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, they become quite engaged and involved and want to take a, a higher 
involvement in the whole thing. You know, I used to have to beg people in for task analysis, you know, in, in the early days of, <laughs> yeah. right, in SME, subject matter expert, you used to have to say, please, 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 can you give me a half a day? Can you give me a lunch? Can you give me a, well, well now if you say, look, can I interview about how you're doing at home? Can we talk about how your job's going? You'll talk my ear off for half a day. Totally. Right. And these are the conversations that L&D is having. I don't think we're going to be allowed to go back to content again. Mm. I don't think we're going to be allowed to because we're talking about the business. Those that are doing this well are directly impacting the performance and success and the ability for an organization not to thrive, but survive. And once you're hooked to that wagon, you know, once you're seen as providing that, I don't think we can swing back and go, so how many days of class do you want? You know, <laughs> yeah. how many... You know, I want, I want to renew my e-learning subscription. You know, and, and I want to be careful here. I am not, by, by the way, saying those are going away. Or am I saying those aren't going to be around? Or, the, or am I bashing them? What I'm saying is that was the tip of the sword for us for a long time as an industry. Yes. Um, and I think we're going to be called the task in a, in a very different way when we come out of this. Mm. So what would you say to the people that, you know, we're talking about, you know, anxiety and resilience and, you know, health, you know, mental health issues, the ones that go, well, how's that going to impact on my business? Because I saw a post that you put up that, you know, learning in the flow of work actually does have impact on business metrics, including heads and percentages there. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because it was quite a significant business impact by focusing on that, that softer well-being, et cetera, of the people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's the interesting thing, right? I, I've been chasing ROI my whole career. Mm. I hated that acronym for the first 30 of it, 20, mm. 25 of it, because I just couldn't get a correlation that defended what I did. It was hard to say because you sat in my room yes. or because you took my e-learnings or because you, that three months later you were performing better. Was there an impact or relationship? Yeah, I, I think that was defendable. But ROI talks about a, a causation, a correlation of stimulus and response, right? Yes. Um, and what I love about workflow learning is, by the nature of the word, is that it is workflow, it is my deliverables consumed in the workflow while doing work. You learn through doing while working. Mm. So my ability to correlate then when you finish a report quicker, faster, or more efficiently because my performance support system or my EPSS or my workflow learning was a direct aid to that, my ability to defend ROI there is pretty significant, yeah. right? Versus you took my how to fill an expense report class three months ago, and now you do an expense report. You know what I mean? That's been something that I think L&D has been chasing, at least I have for forever. And until I stumbled on this and have been pulled into this, it's been exciting to find. Now, when you get back to the human side, you know, you know, COVID stuff. I mean, we do a lot of work with hospitals or did initially around some of the COVID work and other things. And it was such a raw need. I, I love that word because it was actually one of the words that one of our clients used. Mm. Um, and again, they wanted to skip past the analysis. They wanted to skip past the, the five beta alpha stuff. <laughs> and they just wanted something that would work. Mm. Doesn't have to be pretty, doesn't have to be perfect, but can you get us from A to F? And then later we'll go from F to, you know, but, and that's where we've seen some pretty remarkable outcomes and direct business impact from this kind of work. Mm, absolutely. So from a team point of view, we, we've talked a lot about the future and what we've seen in the past and, and now. Sure. What do you think teams, learning teams are going to have to look like going forward? Well, you know, some of the content, more traditional, again, roles I think will be around. I, I have concern for trainers, to be mm. honest, if you include them in the L&D team. Yes. The classroom's taken a hit. I think it's going to for a while. 
virtual is making another form of classroom. It's, it's making strides. It, it has some rough starts, but we're getting better at it. So it'll be interesting to see the evolution of that role. But I think some other ones are going to come to play. We tossed around learning consultants for a long time, performance consultant for a long time. There's a discipline of that too. But I think in our world, I think that people that, are, that can analyze the performance of the business, translate it into business outcomes and KPIs and performance and so on, is going to be a part of it. And I also think user experience is a big deal because in the end, when you get into workflow learning and out of the domains in which we control, it is all about the user doing well on their own. So user experience design, AI, machine learning, these kinds of data analytics, the science of that, I think it's a weak muscle in, L- in the L&D space. I don't know many departments that have a data analytic no. you know, or a data scientist. Data scientist, can you imagine walking to an L&D team and go, so, you know, this is Mary. She's our data scientist. <laughs> in 36 years, no. I've never heard words uttered, right? But that's where we're going. Those are the brave new frontiers. And, and then those will trickle back down to content and mm-hmm. how we design it and how we put it together and, and how we present it. But those out front roles are ones that I think we're going to have to take a hard look at in our teams and maybe find outside of our teams Mm. in order to support them. And I think you're right. I think that, and it's that becoming the trusted advisor, like there's a lot of complaint about, you know, we're not the trusted advisor, which I think comes back to commercial acumen. And one of the guests I've interviewed, they said, if you don't know how your money, I think it was Laurie, if you don't know as an L&D person how your business makes money, you shouldn't be an L&D. Just, you know, something as simple as that, quite true. I just think you're right. The performance consultancy has never really gone, certainly in this region, you know, as a major thing. It has been content, content. And I was just looking at my notes here. I was sitting on a podcast this morning with um, a woman who is very much about the future of, well, she's got the Tech Futures Lab, so it's all about technology <clears> in the future. And she was saying, and what did she say? It was very interesting is that we're talking about future skills, and I think this applies to L&D teams as well, is like, what are the future digital skills that we need? And she said Mm. the same as you're saying, like AI and machine learning, et cetera, et cetera. And to come to your point about the data scientists, and she said, you know, we don't need to be able to know how to do those things, but we do need to know what they do um, and how that happens and understand the the journey of whether it be the learner or, or your customer or whoever that is. Yep. But we need to, and I'm just wondering if this is a clue into the future of teams, is that we, we need to know the full ecosystem, and that includes technology and learning that obviously, you know, technology being the enabler, not the thing. Um, yep. And then we get to choose to put it together. So we almost become how we put the ecosystem together. Yeah. I've heard Learning Architect talked about a lot. You know, it, it's, I've been around technology and learning for a long time. I remember laser disc players, which is probably <laughs> predates your lifetime, young lady. Even, not, um, even me. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so I, I remember being a part of a primary school system here in the States where we bought a beta VCR players. Mm-hmm. I a, a miss there for sure, at least on the brand side. Um, uh, thinking it was going to revolutionize education. Now, it probably could have, but, but, but the lesson I learned there is that methodology begets technology. I remember sitting with my principal after that fiasco. And he said these words, he said, I got duped into thinking that having the technology would get me learning. Mm. And what I learned is learning enables technology mm-hmm. to foster learning. And I've watched and I've seen them all come and go, you know, Second Life, all these things that were, and no offense to Second Life, but all these things <laughs> that, that, you know, we were told from a podium at IAI, you know, these kinds of things, which, which again, I'm not, I'm not saying that those are not going to impact. They are in the education. It's what do we do with them? 
Mm. We're the the architect and the engineer of, of building the home. You know, we have to know the tools that are appropriate, the layout of the land, the way the structure should be put together. We don't have to be in there swinging the hammers, um, yes. right? And so, but what we do come to this with is an amazing pedigree of instruction. Mm. And so I've seen too many technologies come and go that at a demo and a, and a trade show floor were remarkable. But when they were brought back into the enterprise and tried to fit into the ecosystem there and the other existing systems that were there and the workflow of the learner and, and the content they were presented with, they fell apart, not because the technology couldn't sustain it, but because the design and the orchestration of that technology, the L&D team didn't have the wherewithal to put together, mm. right? So you're right. I don't think we have to be AI experts, although we're going to have them on our team. I think we have to be the stewards of the ecosystem. Mm. Um, and it's going to push us to understand mm. parts of it that we don't now yes. um, and systems that we're not familiar with now. Yeah, the, and the word ecosystem has been coming out a lot lately. Oh. Um, I, I do hear that. So it's not just focusing on we do this one thing, as you say, the content, 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 one thing. It's uh, what is the full ecosystem? And I really loved the work you've done with the five moments of need. I think, I mean, if you looked at your technology through that lens alone, <laughs> Right. You know, so do you want to share that with people? Because I just, I've actually built that into clients, strategic frameworks. This is your content. At what point are you doing? Are you applying? Are you, what are you doing? So do you want to explain right, that? Right, right. Well, it's funny because I remember being with a dear colleague of mine before I was aware of the five moments at a trade show. I was a young buck at the time. He was a really smart guy, one of my heroes in this business. And we're standing in front of this vendor who goes, this is the most remarkable learning tool you'll ever use. And my colleague goes, learning for what? What do you mean Learning. And the vendor was caught on their heels <laughs> because they were like, well, you know, like teaching people. Well, wait a minute, teaching people. What a myopic view of what people need out of L&D, right? And, and, and so I was introduced through this brilliant man, Dr. Conrad Gaffertson, who's now my, my business partner. In a very key time in my professional career, when I was asked to bring blended learning and e-learning to a large technology company I was a part of at the time, and I couldn't do it. It just wasn't working. And when he looked at my work, he said, Bob, here's the problem is instructionally, this is brilliant work, but it's not meeting the needs of your learners. And I was like, well, of course it is. They need, here comes, they need to know this stuff. He's like, <laughs> Bloom's taxonomy, well. level one. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, you know, knowing is one thing, he goes, but, there, but there's other needs that drive desire, that drive the consumption of any learning asset. And then he, he introduced me to the five, new, more, apply, solve, or change. And I had never looked at the consumption of content through that lens before. And it had always been newer more to me. People don't know something, so that's new, right? Mm -hmm. So we introduce them to something new. And, or they know something but need to know more about it. So we pile on more. I, that, was, that was my entire ID experience. But he opened my eyes to, you know, that's one thing, but it's only a tiny part of the journey. What about applying that? Don't say it 10 more times slower or louder. They get it. They passed the test. They certified out. They got the credential. Now they're at work. And the cognitive jump from knowing to doing is apply. What are you giving them for that? Well, they got a book. No, no, no. Wait, a book? <laughs> I mean, what happens when the information changes? Are you going to drag them back in class and reteach them again? They know it already. It's just changed. What are you going to do then? And I just remember sitting there, and I've been in education. I have an advanced degree in the States in it. And I just remember going, I've never heard this before. I've never been challenged to look at what I do through that lens before. And he goes, well, if we don't, what are we doing? Because they fundamentally is what every learner performer gets up every day and faces. New, more, change, solve, or apply. Yeah. Um, and when I looked at it that way, I realized, my God, I have so underserved 
those that I've thought I built a complete solution for. Now when I architect my work, it's for all, I try to address all five moments. Yes, absolutely. No, that, I totally agree with that. I think that if you don't, you get into that, what we were saying before about is content, content, content. Yes. And now this right. is about context. It's like, well, we're at home and we've Brilliant. got a problem. How do we apply that? And these managers have got the knowledge on how to manage people, but they're now at home. So that's different again. Right. So, right. The context has changed, right? But not the <laughs> principles of leadership or leadership. The principles of the human side of empathy is empathy. But all of a sudden the context changed. And what's our natural instinct? Well, let's, let's write another course. Yes. Let's, exactly. let's think of it. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Maybe that 20-year seasoned manager who's now at home trying to manage people remotely doesn't need a course on that Mm-mm. alone because their need is one of change. Their need is one of solve. Their need is not so much one of newer more. They, yes. they got advanced degrees in those things. It really turns your perspective on this on edge. Uh, totally. And I think anyone, and, and I'll put in the show notes your the link to that website because I think you've got some great resources on there to your podcast as well. Um, I'll certainly you know add those so people can go and have a look at that. And I'm of the view now that I think that, and this, is, this might, I'll be interested in your thoughts, is that any classroom training, whether it be in person or online, should not be given any new content. It should be for apply. They should be coming to practice what they've been taught. God bless you. Digitally or somewhere, but trying to get people to understand that. Oh my gosh. I have spent the last 10 years of my life trying <laughs> to get people to understand that. When someone came up to me at a conference about three years into this journey. I also write for a magazine here in the States in education. And he goes, Bob, 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 I've always wanted to meet you. you know, and we had a little, little back and forth. You know, very nice. That's very flattering. He goes, by the way, just want you to know that in my company, we know you as the classroom hater guy. What? And I went, I went, what? He goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've read all your stuff. You're the guy that hates the classroom. And I said, I have never, ever uttered or written those words. He goes, well, you know, read your stuff. <laughs> and and, and what he, he, he was going at was that, to your point, is that I think the classroom is stunning. I just think it has been so misused for so long mm. in what it does best. It's not been allowed to be what the experiential, face-to-face, humanistic, remedial, problem-solving world that a writ, you know, failure-safe world that a classroom is. Nope, it's a thousand PowerPoints and it's 50 activities and it's a test at the end. And it's so knowledge-based stuff that it's like, look, I can read that stuff. I could be learning that stuff. You know, when you get me in a classroom, teach me to fish. Don't feed me one, right? And we, we've done that for so long. I wrote an article a while back, you know, said, you teach swimming or teach dr- or prevent drowning. I saw the article. That was very good. You know? Yeah. Oh, thank you. And it's really kind of the calling card for our industry. And, you know, so I think you're so spot on in, in your view. The classroom will always be and have its place. But let's let it do what it does best. Especially in today's world, if we're going to risk to bring people into one place, let's not put them through 20, 50, 60 PowerPoints. That's right. Let's let them talk. Let's let them experiment. Let's let them try. Let's let them fail. Let's let them discuss. Let's let them innovate. Let's let them problem shoot. Let's let them. The content can be provided elsewhere. Mm. And frankly, a much richer, more efficient, more consistent context. Mm. Um, but I tell you, it is a pivot that is so hard for us to get. So hard for us to get. It is. And I've just seen these awful examples with COVID is that, that people have picked up their classroom content training and just put it into Zoom rooms. And I'm just going, 
in six hours, I'm going, you poor Unbelievable. <laughs> and we did, and we did this before, young lady, right? Yeah. When we first came out with e-learning, what we do? We took all of our good books and all of our PowerPoints ah. and we put them on a, on a screen with text at the bottom, some pretty graphics in the front. We put a button in the bottom right that could go backward and forward. And we clicked through these things. And that was e-learning. Yes. It was horrifically terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we woke up to the fact that that's probably not the best use of that medium. Yeah. Well, you know, same here. Well, some people did. Don't go there. Another conversation. Right. right. <laughs> but same thing. Right. Virtual instruction. We use a methodology called gear in our design. Gather, expand, apply, re- receive feedback. An acronym. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, sure, there's the gather part. There's the virtual like we're doing now. But the richness of the model is because you can't sit in through six hours of anything, an hour to an hour and a half tops. So if you've got an eight-hour class, you've got to space that puppy out over, what, four, five, six sessions at least to, mm. to do it cognitively, responsibly. Yes. So what do you got? Well, now you got something called time. Mm. You've, got, you've got space in between for practice, reflection, trial and error, application, mm. remarkably proven learning approaches that the classroom, unfortunately, because we sit in there for a day, can't do. Mm. So virtual instruction could be a a panacea to this thing. But let's not, to your point, pick up 100 PowerPoints, plop them into the three-hour class, three hours sitting down. Oh, my gosh. It's instructionally embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it comes back to what you were saying before. Methodology begets technology. Mm. And then it's like people, if you don't understand learning adult learning principles, all of the key frameworks that you need to, to use, and just then apply the technology to that, it's, that's never going to happen. Zoom has the option. You know, they have the breakout rooms. They have the whiteboards. You know, the technology is there right now. And, and I think I saw another post of yours. You know, use the tools you've got right now. You don't need to go and invest in an LXP, right. LMS or whatever. Use what you've got, but know right. what the methodology is. Well, and that's the thing. If you look at virtual, take the brand out, right? If you look at virtual and apply learning theory to it, one of the first things you run into right away is something called cognitive overload. Yes. Right. Which, by the way, classrooms run into too, but that's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but you realize that attentive wise and energy wise and cognitive focus on a two dimensional screen wise with a mouse and a click and a keyboard, you cannot put them through 60 to 90 minutes or more. You just can't. You no. probably shouldn't in a class, but that's, an, that's a whole other argument. So, what does it tell you? You got to stop. You got to mm-hmm. stop after 60 minutes to 90 mm-hmm. and give them a break. Yeah. Before you bring them back again for your next 60 or 90 minute thing. Well, here's your question instructionally. Okay, look, so I got a break. I can either just take a break and then come back and pick up where I left off, or I could use the break instructionally with some well examined and researched theories like space learning, mm-hmm. like reflection. These have been in our industry forever. Mm-hmm. We've, we've struggled to get them in a the classroom in some ways, unfortunately, but they're lying at our feet in virtual instruction. Mm-hmm. So let's use what we have. My gosh, we are such an industry steeped in research mm. and we ignore a good chunk of it. <laughs> I agree. And a lot of that great research was you know, done by the Skinners, et cetera, of the world in the 50s and 60s that could be applied sure. today, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm so interested in that. So virtual training. So is anyone out there doing that very well that you know of globally? Sure. I've seen some work done in our government here in the States that's been very impressive. And again, the ones that I've seen do it well are, are using some of these principles we've shared, right? Some of the fundamental yes. things. They, they understand that too much is a lot. They understand that interactions and engagement in distance learning is different than interaction and engagement in face-to-face. Mm-hmm. They understand the tools you mentioned. You know, it's, it's funny. 
I used to teach a train the trainer and one of the topics was on engagement and questioning, the art of questioning, the art of questioning, whole open-ended, you know, those have been around forever, right? And so a good instructor knows that you don't just ask any old question. You ask a certain type of question at a certain time to elicit a certain kind of answer, not just the right answer, You right? Well, guess what? A whiteboard chat poll elicit those are our engagement tools of this domain. They mm. elicit different behaviors. Mm. For instance, chat's very risky. Why? Because my name's attached. Yeah. Polling, not so much. Reporting, mm-hmm. not at all. But again, all I'm doing is applying principles we've used in other domains mm-hmm. to the tools that are in front of us. Methodology begets technology. If we apply what we have learned, not just pick up what we did and apply, we take the principles over here, leave the way that worked there and apply the principles of instruction, it all becomes apparent. Yes. What you said that we did was we picked up the model of classroom mm. and plopped it in the model uh-huh. of virtual. Mm. And one, guess what? It's terrible. Mm. Surprise, surprise. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And people don't have their yeah. cameras on because they're doing something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess just we're sort of winding up a bit here. In terms of technology, and sort of just a final part of that, I saw that you were head of learning strategy for Microsoft in 2003 to 2006. I was. And it's really interesting how popular their products have become over this time. What are your thoughts around you know, your head of learning there? Is it any different? It's obviously a lot different, but how is it different between 2003 to six to say now? Yeah, well, here's the thing. There's two things I think that have happened in technology that not just Microsoft brand per se, but back then, even though we call it the Microsoft suite of products, they weren't really a suite of products. You know, you used Word, you used PowerPoint, you used Excel. They came in a box together. Mm-hmm. The menus might have been the same, but you didn't sit down and say, I'm going to use a suite of systems to get my job done. And there was no collaboration, mm-hmm. right? So I think that from a user perspective, we can talk about learning technology too, but from just a user perspective, I think the thought of orchestrating technology as a true suite approach, end-to-end suite approach, changes the way that learners use technology. And then, my gosh, collaboration, Teams, Slack, call it what you want, right? Those have entered in, and then content repositories or domains like SharePoint and others that have matured well beyond the early, what I would call failed efforts. But Mm -hmm. um, it's all sort of reaching a tipping point. And thank goodness, here comes COVID. Because can you imagine COVID without all this stuff, without Zoom, without Teams, without Mm -hmm. Outlook, without... I don't know. I think we we would be literally at a stop, you know, so it's a powerful time, but again, needs to be used in an effective way. Mm. And probably in in that ecosystem way, bringing to you what you you need. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There you go, right? Yeah. (laughs) Here's that word again. It is indeed, indeed. So I guess finally, what sort of tips or advice would you give to sort of learning and development people, learning development leaders about what they could do next to actually help move their companies forward? Like what sort of advice would you give them? This is going to sound bizarre. I got asked this question again the other day as well. And I asked it of a couple leaders that I've seen perform. I'm not in that business anymore, right? I'm in service to that business. Mm-hmm. L&D professionals and L&D leaders, but they're, they're on the front line. And this is going to sound almost overly simple, but listen, mm-hmm. we have to listen more than we ever have. And, and here's the thing, we are in the answer business. Right. And, and I don't think there's an L&D professional alive who, when a SME starts talking, their brain isn't already at the chapter verse lesson level of the answer. And the person hasn't even finished their first sentence. Mm-hmm. Right. 
It is a brave new world. It is all the rules have changed. All the bets are off. All the mm. barriers have shifted. Mm. Um, so as was said the other day to me by a really brilliant senior leader in a, in a large multinational company, learning leader, he said, look, the COVID has taught me to listen again and ask good questions again. Mm. I'd gotten really good at coming in with answers. Yeah. And again, it sounds overly simple, but when the sands are shifting underneath you every day and those we serve, how do you pick the right answer on a long-term basis, mm. right? So I think we have to be short-term focused and long-term minded. Mm. We do not know, uh, new normal, ugh, you know, it's yeah. used all the time, <laughs> yep. but we don't know what it is. Anyone who says they do is, I, my opinion is lying. Yes. Right. So how do you build for a reality you don't know yet? So we're in a data gathering time. We're in a mm. listening time. We're in a short term responsive. But don't you dare think that's your solution for tomorrow time. Mm. Those are not the domain of pre-COVID for us. Mm. You know, a three-year business plan, five-year business plan. Uh-uh. Good luck with that right now. <laughs> I, I dare you to have a three-week business plan, <laughs> let alone a three-year one. It's so true. Like before we went into lockdown first, I remember working on a piece of work. And I honestly, within half a day, the work I'd done that morning was irrelevant. Like it's yes. just because something happened. So it's like... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's been five months. That's a blip in a radar. We can't write a course in five months. No. And we're not out of it. We don't know what it is still yet. Mm. So... We have to be in the analysis business for the time being. And we're not comfortable with that because we want to so quickly get past it to the deliverable, mm. to the solution, to here's what I'm going to give you mm. in X days. Mm. And the leaders seen successful are being short-term driven, meet the demands of the day. Don't take date a week or month of the day mm-hmm. and listen and watch the shifting sand across the enterprise. Mm. Um, and start looking for places where it's settling, because I think in some cases it is. I don't think we're that disruptive as we were, because that will help you form your strategy when you come out. To have a strategy now to come out, I don't, how do you have that? Because what does coming out, what does coming out of this mean? I think we're living through something that when we look back and when people look back in 10, 20 years, it will be actually, that was one of the major events of humankind. And oh, I don't, pivoting. I don't, think, don't think a lot of people get that. Oh my gosh. How yeah. can it not? I mean, every theater... What's theater going to be like? Think of the things that we have taken, now for granted is the right word, but that we just thought were what they were forever are not anything like they were at all. No. Right? So how can that be remotely predicted just yet? So those that are responsive, those that listen, those that act in the near term, but watch the landscape and the ecosystem for the long term, but don't put a stake in the ground just yet, I think are the ones that are preparing for the time when they can. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And we saw that the ones that have sown the seeds, you know, months, years, decades ago, are the ones that are thriving in this time. Um, yeah. trying, to, trying to sow seeds now, is just makes people look a bit, I guess, yep. I'm not sure what the word is. Yes. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. right answer today, well, the right answer today is the embarrassing one tomorrow, right? So, <laughs> so who wants to, who wants to bet their, their livelihood on that, right? So, so yeah, we, it's agile. We throw that word around before COVID. Oh my gosh, we are living in the most agile <laughs> We're living at Joel. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Well, look, it's been so fabulous talking with you. I really appreciate it. And I hope we get a chance to do it again. I would love that. How do people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Sure. Well, uh, you know, of course, email bob at applysynergies.com 
or to our website as well as five moments of need.com with a five mm-hmm. um, are probably the best ways to reach out to me. And I'm on LinkedIn as well and too would love to connect there as well. That's fabulous. Well, thank you so much and uh, good luck with the rest of this year and, and all of your plans. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. I'd love to. You as well. Be safe. Great talking. You appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. If you'd like to get in touch with me to suggest topics or speakers, you can contact me on LinkedIn or Facebook or find the links in the show notes below. Keep on smiling.